Merkel Media. I guess it's time to go back in time. Are you telling me you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? Time is but a stubborn illusion. I have a lot of memories of the past. People are time traveling within themselves. Time travel is possible. Welcome to Reloaded Monday, everybody. Have you ever wondered if patients are possessed or do they really have mental issues? Well, guess what? This is Reloaded Monday. We're going back in time to episode 270 where we talked to Will and we talked about these very topics and he shares his Bigfoot experience, UFO talk, and we talked about his book as well, Deconstructing a Paradigm. Let's get to Will on this Reloaded Monday right now. Okay, I'll reload it. This was all circulating around the base that a giant had been killed, but no one was supposed to talk about it. I saw three long bony fingers reach up underneath the door curl up to grab it and then disappear when he came over to me dude he slithered over to me and this giant comes out of the cave and they're all frozen and he starts running and firing at this giant well the giant moves got a spear in one hand and he's running really fast and spears Dan and holds him up like this. Somebody else shoot him in the face, shoot him in the face, they basically decapitate him. Got closer, got closer, got closer. When he got about 15 yards away from me, I raised that 12 gauge and I blow this head off. I feel something pulling at my leg and I look over and there are two small gray entities pulling it. And they're literally, I'm getting pulled off the bed. I reached my hand into this bush and I touched air. Couldn't breathe and I couldn't move because I know I'm seeing a monster. Yep. Welcome to the show, everybody. You're listening to The Confessionals. I am your host, Tony Merkel. Thank you for being here. If you've had an encounter or a story you'd like to share with me on the show, go ahead and shoot me an email. My email address is theconfessionals at theconfessionalspodcast.com. That's theconfessionals at theconfessionalspodcast.com. Or go to the website, theconfessionalspodcast.com. Hit the contact section. You can reach me that way as well. Either way works for me. Just get a hold of me. And if you want more shows every week on Thursdays, we release a bonus show to members only on the website. So if you want more of The Confessionals, and you want to hear all the previous member shows and all the future member shows and the one coming out this Thursday, go ahead to theconfessionalspodcast.com, hit the join button and become a member today. If you want some emergency preparedness food, go to preparewiththeconfessionals.com. That's preparewiththeconfessionals.com. There you can get four weeks supply of emergency preparedness food that lasts up to 25 years. And if you purchase that, we'll knock $100 off for you. It's a great idea to be prepared in any kind of situation for you and your family. So if you're 
you're interested in preparing for future events of shortages of food, go to preparewiththeconfessionals.com. Now, we have Will coming on this week, and Will is a clinical supervisor at a treatment facility in Minnesota, and he has some experiences with his clients and hauntings in the facility, people being possessed. He talks about that. He talks about his possible Bigfoot experience, UFOs. We get into a lot of different stuff. So let's get to Will right now. Right, today we got Will on the show. Will, how you doing, man? Great. How about yourself? I'm doing good, man. So uh, I find you an interesting guy because uh, of your background, and uh, we'll get into some of the other things today where you actually wrote a book about some things that I just find very fascinating, and my wife is reading your book right now, and she's loving it. Uh, before we get into anything, though, let me t- do this. Uh, what's the name of your book, and where can people get your book? It's called Deconstructing a Paradigm, and it's available on Amazon. Okay, so uh, Deconstructing a, pr- uh, a Paradigm, it's available on Amazon. Uh, give the audience like a, a synopsis of uh, what the book entails. Well, I guess what I was going for is really, um, it does have a subheading also. I probably should have uh, thrown that in there. A Treatise for the Unbelievable. So Deconstructing a Paradigm. A treatise for the unbelievable. Um, really, that's what it is. Is um, I came to a point where I started getting into some weird things, and I don't even remember how it started. Whether that was with uh, stumbling onto Ellie Marzulli's work or the first uh, Dogman encounter episode that I heard. I don't know where it came from, um, and I always had a, a belief in uh, supernatural things. But uh, the I suppose my interest started to um, really accelerate within the last two or three years. And so uh, as I began to get into that sort of thing, I thought, I mean, this is it's kind of insane that here's this, what I believe is uh, reality, a, a whole different faction of, of reality that most people don't even give any credence to. So I guess... What I what I wanted to do is almost come at it from uh, an apologetics approach, and so it it covers a a wide range of topics. Um, you know, it isn't it's not specific to anything like UFOs or uh, cryptids or conspiracies, um, but rather covers kind of a, a that broader range. Um, and I kind of wanted to get into also. You know, why don't people believe in this sort of thing or, or what happens with a person or in their in their belief system to just kind of shut that stuff down when really there's a, a ton of um, evidence for it out there. So I wanted to lay out some of the evidence that uh, that I came across, um, pick out some of the skeptical counter arguments and uh, debunk some of those to the best of my ability. And that's kind of what it is. Well, 
I think it's an awesome book. Uh, Lindsay and I were talking about it this morning, and uh, it was actually the top of a conversation first thing in the morning. We were downstairs. The kid was still waking up and stuff, and she's telling me about your book. And I just found it very fascinating, and uh, I, I strongly encourage people to check it out, not only because of the content that I find interesting, but I told you this, Will. Um, Lindsay reads a lot. And before my son was born, she was reading well over 100 books a year. Uh, she used to write. She's very well informed with what good writing is and what keeps people's attention. And when my wife gives a raving review, I take it as scripture. It's like, okay, well, this is a good book then. And uh, she did the same thing with Timothy Renner. We have, we've had him on the show several times in his books. Like uh, She said about Timothy, like, for somebody who wasn't trained to be a writer or anything like that, you would never know it. Like he, his books are just really well written. And uh, she said the same thing about yours. So I highly recommend people checking that out and stuff for themselves. But uh, Will, you're a clinical supervisor at a treatment facility. And uh, there has been some paranormal activity occurring there. And uh, you are going to share some of these stories today. And including, um, I guess, a very rare encounter that somebody else had that told you, but they're not really willing to talk about it, but they told you it's okay if you talk about it. So um, let's get to it, man. Like, what are some of the things going on in the treatment facility? Well, um, <clears throat> I guess I'll just start out by saying it's a, it's a facility for the chemically dependent and the mentally ill. So it's, uh, it's a dual diagnosis facility. Uh, the clients that come in, they don't, it's primarily chemical dependency. So, um, our clients all struggle with chemical dependency and most of them also have a co-occurring disorder, um, of some, some kind of mental illness. Uh, that said there, there's a, a, an obvious distinction between somebody who struggles with an organic brain disorder and somebody who is seeing something that is largely not thought to exist. So when, um, I would say I have to maintain the anonymity for any of the clients, so I'll change all their names. Um, but it, it uh, seemed to, well, actually, before even any of that started, uh, some of the staff had noted that there was, and I think they said it was always specifically a, a around midnight, they'd see on the security cameras outside a shadowy figure standing on the uh, picnic table. There's a little courtyard area, which I never saw myself because I don't, I don't work that late. And I mean, as interested as I am in the subject matter, you'd think that I'd make the trip out there to have a look, but I guess uh, such is my laziness that I have never gotten around <laughs> to it. But um, so that, that, uh, and I don't know if that's still going on. I should, I could probably follow up on that. I don't know that it is, though. Um, so that was the first thing that kind of piqued my interest. Um, there's nothing going on now, to the best of my knowledge, but there was a period there for, you know, I'd say about a week or so, where um, one of the clients who does is not diagnosed with any kind of a mental illness that would result in um, audio or visual hallucinations of any kind, if... I'm trying to think, I think she may have had um, a diagnosis of um, depression or anxiety at the most, but I don't think anything beyond that. And um, 
I was facilitating a group. And in that group, she said, well, I've been waking up to a uh, the sound of like a radio playing every morning for the past couple couple days. And, um, you know, thought that was odd. Uh, followed up with some, some of the staff working on the unit. And um, there's no radios playing, especially not that early. Uh, it's not a giant facility, so they would know if... It, so this client said it was coming from outside of the room and staff working the floor would certainly be aware if there was anything like that. And they said, no, there's no radio. Um, if there's any noise disturbance, we'd get it on the shift report and, you know, then we'd have to speak with the, uh, the individual responsible and try to get them to be more respectful with the volume of their, their radio. However, um, that didn't seem to be the case. So, um, the consensus seemed to be at that time that it's probably an an audio hallucination um, from I don't know what they thought. I, I, her her mental health diagnoses didn't seem to indicate that that would be a likelihood in any way. But you know what do you do if somebody's hearing something that's not that nobody else is hearing? I suppose you conclude that it's a hallucination. Um, so that I think was kind of it for the moment. Um, and sometime later, maybe a couple of days later, uh, she continued to report the same thing. And, um, some of the other clients began to report it as well. They said, well, yeah, I hear it too. Um, and I don't know if it was she or another individual who reported seeing a kind of like a black mist or, uh, um, smoke, in the facility in some of the rooms, um, which is interesting. I've heard that before from um, a schizophrenic client, uh, and he had a very acute awareness of his uh, schizophrenia. So he wasn't um, he wasn't terribly delusional. He's just like, yeah, I have schizophrenia. I see things, and um, you know, very matter of fact. But uh, <clears throat> I'm reading through a series of books now by a guy named Albert Rosales, who has accumulated this. Uh, it's a series of books um, called Humanoid Encounters, and I don't know if I'm supposed to plug other other books, but uh, it's really it's really quite a, a comprehensive um, collection of people throughout the. It starts one A.D. I think the first one is a, a report of Pliny the Elder, who uh, reported seeing a centaur frozen in not frozen but preserved in um, solidified honey he goes on to describe it and everything it's like wow this is so that got my attention so i'm working on that series of books um and in a lot of encounters i'm noticing uh, a lot of these reports entail eyewitnesses seeing um like clouds of smoke or mist or fog however they describe it and ultimately it, it ends up uh forming into uh, a figure whether that be humanoid or some kind of, you know, monster or something, a uh, lot of strange reports. So that's the thing, I guess, in the paranormal world, for whatever reason. So, um, I, as far as the client's experiences go, I don't think that ever uh, any of the smoke or the the foggy substance, whatever it was, ever came to fruition or ever, you know, materialized in any kind of a tangible, um, discernible form. But um, it, it was curious that that multiple clients began to report similar things, and 
um, so that that went to the treatment team, um, and we we staffed these things on, on a daily basis. Um, when we come in for the morning, the professional team will sit down and we'll uh, we'll review any of the reports of kind of what's going on, and um, so that was communicated during the report and. The, I guess not everybody offered their input and anybody that was, was perhaps thinking that, well, maybe something otherworldly is happening here probably would not, um, jump at the opportunity to say so, yeah. uh, myself included. So I didn't, but it seemed to be the case that most people, including, uh, mental health professional and we have a team of, um, counseling staff and uh, mental health staff and uh, social worker and so on and so forth. So, um, and among them, it seemed to be the case that they were thinking that this is a, a, um, like a mass hysteria type thing that, okay, so Sally is reporting this, uh, hearing this radio and having this weird experience. So now other people are having, the same experiences because they're getting themselves all worked up. And, you know, to me, that just, that explanation doesn't hold any water. I mean, it would be similar to if you had said, you know, I went, I went fishing the other day and I caught a trout and I started seeing trout jumping from behind the couch or, you know, wherever, wherever I am. So just because somebody says they had an experience, it doesn't incite other people to hallucinate the same experience. Right. So I, I just don't, I don't find the idea of mass hallucination valid since hallucination is supposed to be a subjective experience that originates within the individual's mind. You can't have two people hallucinating the same thing. If more than one person describes seeing a thing that is not supposed to exist, then they really saw that thing. There's no, there's no statistical probability that uh, two people would fabricate the same exact uh, specter or hallucination down to the down to the minute details. So, oftentimes, I think when people are saying uh, or they're they're relegating an experience to the realm of mass hysteria, what they really mean is mass hallucination, and that's simply a fairy tale. Mass hallucination isn't a thing. It doesn't happen. Um, but nonetheless, you know, they, I guess, were almost forced into a position where they couldn't conclude it could possibly be anything else. So the clients must be getting themselves worked up. And um, I think it came to a head at one point when um, this individual, still hearing the radio, um, when did she say this? I, I don't. I can't recall if I heard this directly from her in another group, or or if it's something that came through in uh, one of our clinical staffings. But she, um, so she began to wake up, um, and not only was hearing the radio, but then she would see a red light coming from the hallway, kind of shining under her door, and it appeared as though the floor was wet, which is strange. So, whatever's happening, it. Uh, this uh, hallucination, if that's what it was, is becoming a little more complex. And the last I heard of it is when 
So now there's this other client, and I'll call her um, Amy. So Amy was lying in bed in the morning, and she felt her bed compress around her as if there was an individual standing on her bed with one foot on either side of her. So her bed began to sink in, and she was quiet about it. She really didn't say much. So um, she didn't want to talk about it. I didn't press her. Um, but I know that much. I don't know if she actually saw anything, but it was enough to make her scream. And at that same time, Sally wakes up and, um, she's got the red light thing under her door going on and she looks to where her closet is. And, uh, there's a figure hanging in her closet, which she sees in enough detail to note that, um, it was a native American, um, it didn't really go into detail with the description of uh, the attire or anything like that. So um, a- after that, I think it it seems to have slowed down. I don't know. I guess my impression is that um, we did have a client there also who I, I enjoyed speaking with quite a bit. She was into the new age um, kind of stuff and when I met with her, I was like, you know what? I'd be careful with that. Um, I think that can open doors that we don't know necessarily how to shut. And she was, she was, um, you know, you could have a conversation with her. She didn't shut it down or anything like that or take personal offense to it. But she had said that strange phenomenon seemed to follow her. Um, one time, and this is on a uh, meth bender, she lost control of her body and she said it happened for about three days. She was not the type that was really given to emotion too much, but she did, she did begin to cry when she was relaying this story to me. And again, she didn't really go into detail, but she was not in control of her own body for a good three days or so. And, um, you know, I said, well, you know, that, that sounds like possession to me. And she said, yeah, so it, it's something that had an impact on her and freaked her out quite a bit. I There's kind of a separation. I mean, if, if I'm praying for clients and I'm trying to uh, share with them my own beliefs, uh, I can't imagine that would go unnoticed for too long. I'd probably get yelled at for it. So I don't make a habit of praying for my clients, but I did with this individual. And um, I mean, there's no... You know, demons didn't fly out of her mouth or anything like that. It was, it was just a prayer. And she said, thank you. And um, that was that. But I wonder if, I, I can't narrow it down to the exact day she left that this phenomena started to um, decrease or go away entirely. But um, I can at least ballpark it to about that time frame. And we have clients coming and leaving. So it wasn't necessarily her, but to the best of my my best guess is that uh, she she may have unwittingly kind of had an influence, but I, again, I can't be certain. Um, yeah, I know that with there's there is something with um, meth that I've noticed that stands out um, aside from other drugs. People on meth often see shadow figures, and you don't hear it with heroin. You don't hear it with. Um, hallucinogens even, uh, it's with meth. Now, it, and it isn't directly related to the meth high, but more the fact that meth is such a potent stimulant that it uh, can keep you up for days. So 
um, these people that are just on meth and staying off for days at a time who begin to see shadow figures. And, uh, you know, I'd say well, it's, a, it's a hallucination induced by staying up for, for such a long period of time. But if your brain is just wildly hallucinating from sleep deprivation, you'd think that you'd have a, a more diverse array of hallucinations rather than just everybody seeing shadow people. So there's something about the drug itself. And, and your audience is probably already familiar um, with the term pharmacia and yeah. where our current, uh, essentially the word for drugs is derived from, it's synonymous with sorcery. So there's kind of a, there's that connection between drugs and the spirit realm, especially when you start um, looking at something like ayahuasca and people's um, experience when they go on these, these DMT trips. Um, so the connection is definitely there. It's an interesting thing that I don't have anywhere near figured out, but interesting enough to note that that pretty much sums up the experience at the, um, uh, the facility that I work at. All right. Well, you know, it's interesting because, uh, I wasn't sure where you would go with certain things and stuff, but I, I find it interesting that with what you just said and stuff, um, you know, it makes you wonder what drugs are capable of doing. Do they open up, uh, a line of sight that we don't typically have access to, maybe through the pineal gland, the third eye, uh, you know, that's the DMT tripping stuff. Like that's what that does. I mean, it like it gives you access to the third eye, the pineal gland kind of wakens it and you see things in another realm. And, and that you talk about people having mass hallucinations. I often question why is it that people who, do DMT when they come out of the experience, they all say they saw the same thing. They all say they saw mm -hmm. the same thing. Like if I'm tripping, uh, it's just like I took a drug and I'm tripping on crazy things that I'm thinking of. If it's my mind producing these images, then you would think everybody's minds would be producing different images as to maybe their worst fears or their worst, their, their most fantastic delights they could imagine. Uh, but surely not everybody would be tripping and their mind producing the same imagery. But that's what this is doing. And so I, I truly believe that uh, drugs do have a capability to opening up uh, our minds and our, 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 for lack of better terms, pineal gland, third eye into other realms, other dimensions that maybe we were not, we're not supposed to necessarily have access to, but we do, or maybe we did at one time, we'd lost the ability. I don't know, but I find it really fascinating. And, uh, you know, I I'm assuming that's kind of like, do you, do you think it's like a third eye situation? Is that what you're thinking too? Well, I think it, I think it must be, um, you know, it has to have something to do with the individual's perception it doesn't open a door such that everybody around a drug addict is also seeing these shadow people it's only the individual seeing it so um yeah i don't know i don't know what thinning the veil really means if it's some kind of an awakening of the pineal gland that um that that uh that does it i i'm not sure but you know those are my thoughts exactly you know everybody coming back from a dmt trip is saying um well i saw these what they maybe Terrence McKenna or uh, whoever else may describe as a, a machine elf or a cosmic jester. And they all have kind of that yep. elven jestery sort of, uh, it, with some variation, but, um, 
I heard uh, one guy's account on YouTube. He was just kind of beginning getting into Christianity, but had one foot in, one foot out. So he's still doing his uh, DMT trip, and he goes on a DMT trip and uh, decides to mention Jesus. And uh, the report he came back with is, uh, they really don't like it when you do that. They became very hostile and um, not a fan. So, you know, I don't, I know that some people interpret. The, the, well, it's the a teacher machine house, apparently. Wow. Wow. I never heard that before, but that's really interesting, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, pretty telling. Um, I think some people have these experiences and think that, well, these are, they're benevolent beings and they wanted to share with me all the secrets of the universe. Well, I mean, when you have such a, a response of vitriol to, to uh, what is considered by many to be a holy name, um, I, I, in my opinion, it's fairly safe to conclude that maybe they're not so benevolent after all. Yeah, I, I, I hear you on that. And, you know, sitting here and hearing you talk about that uh, reminded me that I actually had um, a customer that I was talking to and I told him what I do and he was fascinated by it. Then he's like, have you ever listened to Joe Rogan? And I was like, all the time, man. Of course, like Joe Rogan's somebody, I don't think anybody that listens to podcasts hasn't stumbled across his show. And um, he asked me what I thought about DMT. And I said, oh, I don't know. I said, I've never done it. I'm not planning on it. But uh, from what I hear other people's experiences, it's, it's pretty fascinating to hear people talk about it. And he said, I'm going to, I'm going to try DMT soon. I want to, I, I want to see what everybody's talking about. And I was like, well, I said, if you do that, let me know how it goes, man. Well, he did. He actually wound up buying a frog that produces DMT in a gland on its arm. And it, I guess it's illegal. Like he, like he, you're not supposed to buy things uh, like living animals offline and have it shipped to you kind of thing, but that's what he did. And he harvests uh, his own DMT now. And uh, he tried the DMT from his his um, slave labor frog, and uh, uh, he it worked. And he's like, "Dude, I saw God." And I was like, "What do you mean you saw God?" And he's like, "I don't know how else to describe it other than I came out of that experience believing in God." And I was like, "Whoa!" <laughs> you know, like I was like, "Wow!" Mm-hmm. Like like people are seeing some crazy stuff, and and I don't know what's crazy, what's factual, what is there, what's figment of imagination. I listen. I'm a guy with a podcast, but it's fascinating, absolutely fascinating. And um, with your with these clients and everything, I was going to ask you. And it seems like you kind of went there anyways. Um, It seems like if it was a two-week period that maybe it was somebody within the facility, maybe it was that girl, maybe it was somebody else, but it seems like somebody brought something in with them and it was kind of doing its thing until that person left. Did you ever have a chance to really look at records to try narrowing down the set of people that it could have been other than that woman? No, I didn't. Um, and we actually had a number of people it could have been. Um, and I mean, if it was anyone, I, I don't know. I guess that's an assumption I'm making. But when I was talking with her, our, our conversation started to stray toward um, astral projection, things like that. And she's like, uh, yeah, I know. You know, there's a, there's a few people here who astral project. And I'm like, uh, really? I didn't ask who. I didn't want to pry or anything like that. 
Um, oh, maybe I should start being a little more nosy because I would have been <laughs> interested to know. Yeah. But it is, um, you know, I think it's a, I think it's a more prevalent thing than most people are aware. So, you know, if we, if we had a number of clients who are astral projecting and, um, doing things like that, then, um, that you know, certainly could have been anybody. Yeah, you know, I've never said this on the show before because I don't know how much I believe it, but I'll tell you a story real quick. Um, one night I was producing this show and it was probably like two, three o'clock in the morning. And I was in the office by myself, family sleeping, and I just had this sudden urge that I wasn't alone. And that doesn't happen to me often. In fact, rarely it happens to me. Uh, you would think it would happen to me a lot with hearing all these stories that I do on the show, but I don't know if I've gotten numb to it or what, but I, I, I really don't have many experiences in my life. And if, if I have them, it, they're sp- spread out. But this experience, I'm sitting in the office and, I'm, and I just have this overwhelming feeling that I'm not alone. And I didn't feel like my, the first thought that came to my head wasn't uh, there's a demon in here or there's a ghost in here. I had this overwhelming feeling that somebody was relocating into my office, that they had left their body and they were here with me. And it was a really creepy feeling because I was like, if somebody is really here with me because they astral projected or they, they, they truly left their body and came here, like I felt really um vulnerable and um like uh like there's nothing I could have done, you know? Like like what do you do? There's nothing you can do. And and so I, I just I, I sat there and I, I wasn't scared or anything. I just felt weird and, and I just had this overwhelming feeling that I wasn't alone. And uh I don't know what you said that made me feel like sharing that, but it spawned this memory in my head that I've never shared. I know I've never shared that on the show before. And uh, it's interesting though, that this whole astral projection thing uh, and people actually being able to do it on demand. Cause you know, some people say they do it by accident, but some people are actually doing this on right. demand. Yeah. And um, you know, it's, it's uh, more prevalent in, in certain, in some communities more so than other others. Did you get any sense that it was um, of a personality? Like it, it uh, was say perhaps somebody you've had a run-in with before. I know you um, you had this experience where this individual was apparently trying to put some kind of a satanic yeah. curse on you. Yeah, you yeah. know. Well, I never really felt until now that you said that that it could have been that person. And I don't know if it was that person or not, but what I felt like there was like this mind's eye thing going on where I felt like this presence was here. And I don't know, I guess it was my mind's eye was drawing this image. I don't know if it was true or not, but I had this feeling that that it was a male presence and that the person was not an overly powering person physically, that they were more slender, uh, dark hair. And for whatever reason, uh, I felt like like in my mind's eye, I was seeing somebody with slick, like slick back hair, not real long hair, but it was just like kind of like slick back. And, and honestly, like I, I never, I've never had an experience like that before. And it was just once. And I don't know if it was just my imagination getting to me after listening and working on a show that late at night or what, but I just had this overpowering sense that there's somebody in the room and, uh, they were there in spirit form 
And I had the sense that they were projecting themselves here, that they weren't a dead person and it wasn't a demon. I had the sense like it was like, you know, with everything that I deal with on the show, I you would think that if I was going to get freaked out at random with a random incident that pops in my mind, it would be like a d- demon or, you know, Uncle Joe with the axe or whatever. But this was a very specific uh, feeling of somebody like I, it stopped me in my tracks. Like I felt like there's somebody here that was astral projecting themselves to my location. And it, it was it was really weird. But I don't know. Like I have no proof of it. I didn't see anybody with my physical eyes. It was just like my mind's eye like was painting a picture of this presence that I was feeling there. Yeah, that's interesting. I um I tend to these days want to rely more on that kind of intuition because it would be easy without having any proof to say, ah, staying up too late, maybe it's my imagination. But then, you know, why don't you have similar incidents uh, during other times where you're staying up too late and you're tired and you know, it's kind of hard to, it's hard to say without any definitive proof. But I had done the same thing um, when I had seen a shadow person, the hat man specifically. Um, and I had just thought, you know, that's my imagination for years. And uh, only when I started to really get into this and find that there are several people who have seen the shadowy figure wearing a hat that I decide, okay, well, that's a little bit beyond coincidence. You know, if I saw that and I thought I saw that and it made enough an impact on me that I carried that memory with me um, and other people are seeing the same exact thing, then it's it's pretty unlikely, again, that everybody is just having the same exact hallucination, including the the details uh, of its attire. So, yeah. the um, actually there was a show you were doing. Um, it's I think one of your earlier ones with uh, with Lindsay, where she had said something similar. That I think she had an experience, and then just kind of wrote it off as imagination. But later on in her life, um, was hearing about other reports, and then kind of went, um, you know. I must have, if other people are seeing it, then I must have. And you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong on that. I'm not sure, but. Episode three. uh, Yeah. Yeah. I know it was one of those earlier ones. And and that's kind of what made me go to like, oh, wow, that's, that's pretty much my experience. Yeah. And I think that's a lot of people's experiences where, you know, they have an experience, they don't know how to define it because you're not being taught anywhere in life how to define these kind of experiences. It's not like it's in a handbook at school. And so you have these things happen to you. And more often than not, people just move on. They stop thinking about it because they don't know how to define it anyways. They don't want to talk about it because they think they're the only ones. And so they just go through life knowing they have this memory of something, doubting it as time goes on, wondering if they just imagined it. And then, you know, shows like mine and situations where they stumble across uh, a plethora of stories that are identical to what they experienced or at least really close. And it gives them a, uh, a, for- a way of, you know, maybe it- working it out in their minds, even if they're not coming on my show or, you know, telling the world about it, like, maybe it helps people work it out in their own minds that, hey, at least I know I'm not crazy. And maybe this really did happen. I don't understand it. But at least I know I'm not alone in it. And that's, you know, one of the biggest motivations for this show really is that just people get things off their chest. And then the people listening have the opportunity to hear a story that maybe they can relate with and helps them as well. Um, I'm not a therapist. I'm not, you know, anything like that. I just, you know, that's the kind of environment I want for the show where people just come forward. It's table talk. We're just sitting around talking about each other's experiences and hopefully everybody's benefiting from it. 
Well, definitely. And, and I, I can say from personal experience that, that people are. And since I've, um, uh, I guess my interest in this subject matter has increased, I've come to the same conclusion with multiple things. Another another one was a result of listening to your show, too. Um, I recall time it was several years ago. I was outside on the porch uh, at the house I grew up in in Wisconsin and um, just kind of looking up into the sky. And I saw a light appear. It was just like a star. It, if it if it didn't do what it did, then I would have thought, well, it's a star. But it didn't just stay um, sedentary. So it, it appeared. And then as soon as that winked out, I don't know whether it was another one or the same one, uh, but another one winked on, you know, I. it's really hard to say distance since it looked like a star, but somewhat nearby it. And then when that one winked out, another one winked on about, you know, about the same distance. Um, and I thought, did I really see that? Uh, and I, again, I don't know what episode it was, but you had a guest on that uh, described something similar. And I thought, well, it's a weird thing to just kind of fabricate out of nowhere. And, you know, I don't know. There, I didn't see a disc shape or anything like that. It was just, it was a UFO in the truest sense of the term, an unidentified uh, well, no, probably a more more closely um, described as unidentified aerial phenomenon rather than a flying object, because I really couldn't say either way. But then the same thing happened to me with uh, Bigfoot, too, and I wouldn't have thought that it was a a Bigfoot until I listened to enough episodes of Sasquatch Chronicles to understand their behavior. Um, and that was also at the same house on the same porch. And I know I wasn't imagining that because I was out there with my sister and, um, this was back in the day. So I was still drinking. I haven't drank in over 12 years, but I was then and we were having a cigarette. Um, and, uh, we're, we lived kind of in a rural area. There are other houses nearby. So we did have a neighbor, but, um, I mean, it wasn't in the middle of, of town or anything like that. And all of a sudden there's this, I hear this rustling in the leaves and I look over by the tree and it's entirely concealed. So I never, I never really physically saw anything more than just kind of like a vague shadow. I couldn't discern size or anything like that. Um, but I was just peeking out from behind the tree and I thought it was one of the neighbors coming over or something like that. We didn't have good rapport or anything like that. So, you know, I have no idea, but I, I guess I didn't know what to say. So I said, do you want a beer? And then it took off toward the, uh, the highway, which was uh, bad with distances, but, um, it was probably 50 yards away or so. And at that time they were doing construction on it. So they're at, they're making a two lane highway into a four lane. Um, this is highway 151 running up through Wisconsin. And, uh, the, the speed that this guy, well, what I thought was a guy got up there was pretty incredible. And it, it was dark outside, but you could make out the silhouette kind of, uh, of this figure moving, um, northbound along the road, whether it was on the road or just alongside it, I'm not sure, but the motion was so quick and it was so fluid that there was no head bobbing or anything like that. And so I've been thinking he must have gotten on a bike and somehow 
gotten up to speed because there's no sound. So it's not a vehicle, but it's going too fast. And, um, and that's why I think it was something Sasquatch or like a Sasquatch. Cause you hear these Sasquatch encounters and they do things like peek around trees tend to come out at night and, and their motion, their movement is quick and, um, apparently odd to witness to many people. They don't, they don't bound like we do in that. You know, if you see a human being running, they're going to bob up and down, but rather the head is, it kind of keeps on a level. It doesn't, doesn't move, which is why I thought it was on a bike because there was no bobbing. It was just a, a very quick movement and then it was gone. So now I'm thinking, I, I wonder if I offered a Sasquatch a beer. <laughs> Probably not the only person to have done it, but well, and there's a lot of speculation there. But it's weird. You might be one of the few, man. You might be <laughs> one of the few because whether you are looking for Bigfoot or you're not looking for Bigfoot, I think the last thing people are thinking is, you "Want a beer?" <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. You know, I had yeah, this is true. I had a friend who, uh, before I started the show, I actually just came, had just come out of my paranormal Bigfoot closet, you know, where I kept all the stuff that I do in private from my everyday life. And I had a friend of mine come to me and tell me uh, that one day he was hunting and uh, he was in his tree stand and out of the corner of his eyes, he saw uh, what something and now this is in pennsylvania we only have black bear here we do not have brown bears we don't have grizzly bears we have black bears that's it and in the area he was in there there are bears but what he saw was something that was it was real quick that he saw it but it was about 10 feet tall um on its hind legs and walking into the tree line and it was brown and so he tells me this story. I'm like, dude, you freaking saw a squatch. Like I was excited and all that stuff. And I still think that's what he saw. Um, but, uh, over time he started questioning himself. And the last time I talked to him about it, he said to me, you know, man, I, I don't know what I saw. I'm starting to think that maybe I didn't see anything but a bear. And I, in my head, I'm like, what do you mean, dude? Like you saw something that was brown in color, like, you know, let's just say eight feet tall, 10 feet tall, like tall. And it was walking on its hind legs. Like, yeah, I know bears walk on their hind legs, but like, we don't have bears that color here, <laughs> you know? And it's, like, it's just, uh, but I, I say that because, you know, kind of referencing back to what you were saying earlier and stuff over time, people do start to question what they actually saw. And, uh, you know, I think that's why if you had an experience uh, listening to shows like mine, are helpful for people to truly sort things out in their mind, whether they talk to somebody or not about it, uh, just to know that you're not crazy and you're not alone in this world and something bizarre that you saw. Uh, I think that's comforting for people. It is. It is. And it's strange how that happens because so I'll tell you the, um, the hat man experience I had, I don't know if I was, I must've been like 10 or so. Um, but it was in a, basement. We had a living room down there. We had family down there. I, I think it was probably my mom and brother and sister. And my dad may have been awake just down there watching TV. I became tired. My bedroom is kind of just off the living room. So um, got up off the couch and walked toward my bedroom. The door was open so I could see in there. But before I actually stepped foot into the bedroom, I see this the shadow that's darker than the rest of the bedroom 
sitting in front. We had a TV in there um, where we we had uh, at that time it was probably Super Nintendo. It might have even been like the original old school. Um, so it was sitting in front of the in front of the TV, and it's got this hat on, and it's got the the remote or the the Nintendo controller in its hand. It looks over at me. Like it's offering and gesturing for like, hey, it's your turn to be Luigi now or something like that. And, you know, I got I got out of there. So at the time, obviously, it was real enough for me to, you know, nope, not going back to bed. I'm going to go sit back down on the couch for a while. I'll wait till my brother goes to bed. Because at that time, we we're still young enough where we were sharing the same the same bedroom. We had like bunk beds or something, I think, at the time. And um, so that's what I did. But, and after a while you begin to think, well, I mean, that's a pretty odd thing. The room was dark. Maybe I was tired. Um, but it takes, it takes hearing other people's encounters to, to go, you know, maybe there was something to that. And at this point, I just think it's, I've heard so many Hatman encounters now that it's, it's just beyond coincidence that that can't be the case. I just think I, I saw this thing and I never saw it again. But um, there were some there were some odd occurrences that happened at that house. Um, so that's another thing that kind of supports it. That that was not the only thing that happened there. What other things happened there? Uh, I mean, things that I get. One thing, and really the main reason that that I wanted to reach out to you because, in my opinion, it's important, and I think people should know it. But. Um, I guess before I get to that, I know that at one point, um, my sister said she heard, um, hooves. Uh, it, she, it sounded like it was bipedal, but it definitely sounded like horse hooves walking around in the, uh, kitchen area. And we had a tiled floor, so she could just hear clomping around and I forget whether she was upstairs or downstairs at the time. She wasn't on the same floor, but, um, it terrified her and she, she um, said that she just heard it walking, kind of just walking around. Um, then it went away. Um, so I don't know what that was. Oh, and my mom too. She she said something to the effect that uh, I wish I could remember the surrounding details. I feel like there's more to it. But um, basically. She heard the phone ring. This is before cell phones, of course. So we had a phone downstairs. There wasn't one upstairs. And um, my parents' bedroom was upstairs. I don't think anybody was home at the time. Uh, she heard the phone ring. So she went downstairs to get it. As soon Now, the stairs terminate in the uh, dining room area. And the uh, once she hit the floor, the, the dining room light popped it exploded glass all over the floor and uh, so she was just left in darkness to fumble her way to the phone and answer it when she finally answered it there was nobody on the phone so that kind of creeped her out um the um another thing that occurred you know again my sister and she didn't really see anything but it literally no evidence one way or the other but she was on the porch and heard a huge, it was, it was definitely a big animal. Um, our neighbors had horses. We know what that sounds like. There's no, 
indigenous wildlife that are that's larger than a horse in that area. Um, I mean, even a bear had a bear wandered that far south uh, wouldn't make that wouldn't make that sound according to her. It was very deep, so she she could tell it was huge, and it was just like a it was like a chuff or um, just the breathing of this extraordinarily large thing around the corner. She was out on the porch. Um, and she decided to go inside and not go back out for the rest of the night. But I guess just taking that into consideration, coupling that with the what I imagine was a Sasquatch, just because, again, I can't picture a human being running to the highway, jumping on a bike and getting up to speed and fleeing at the speed that this thing left at. And it, it may not have been. I mean, it. It could have been any number of things. That's the. Uh, I suppose the Sasquatch is not the, the only, um, cryptid or, or paranormal type thing that it could have been. But um, I don't know. It was something weird. It sounded like. So yeah. not a lot of detail there. But yeah. Well, I mean, it's. I, I know it's speculation, but I mean, let's. That's what we do, right? That's what we do here. We speculate. We we think about you know what if and what could have been. So uh, there's no no harm in that. I um you know be, before we kind of wrap this episode up, I would like to dive into just some things uh, with you on your book. Um, and you know I I didn't tell you we were going to do this, so hopefully it's okay. But I want to ask you about Aleister Crowley because um, I guess you had said that in the book that he was visited by an entity named, I don't even know how to pronounce it. A I W A S S. I think that's how you spelled it. Uh, and the picture in the, in the book, I guess my wife was telling me about it, uh, looked like a gray alien. Is that, is that so? Is it, is that ringing the bell? Yes. And I've heard that, uh, that entity that he, um, channeled, and I don't know if that was through what he called the Alamantra working, or if that was another kind of set of magic spells he did. Um, also go by the name of Lamb, unless there's two separate entities that have gotten confused. But it's one of the earliest, uh, earlier depictions of uh, of a gray. And, you know, if we're looking at grays as extraterrestrial beings, why are they coming through in these occult rituals? Um, another thing, uh, this is on... Um, Marzulli's uh, documentary, uh, I think it's, it might have been the fifth one, uh, the Watcher series that he does. This news guy goes out to meet with this guy who goes by Prophet Yahweh. It must have been a slow day at the news station. I don't know. And it's because <laughs> apparently this guy could summon, um, summon UFOs. So he goes out there thinking it's going to be a funny little gag story. And they're looking up in the sky, and all of a sudden this bright little speck appears and starts floating around. And so the, the uh, um, I don't know what you call them, the field investigator, or whatever their title is, calls back to the station and says, uh, we're going to have to change the way the story goes, basically. Uh, I'm looking up in the sky and this guy conjured a UFO. Well, again, conjuring is something you do on a spiritual level. So I don't want to just, you know, relegate all phenomena to the realm of, um, the demonic, but to me, it certainly looks that way. There's, there's um, certainly a connection between demonic entities and many UFO manifestations that people report. Um, the I know I don't want to take up all your time, but 
and, and this is kind of jumping topic, so I hope you don't mind too much. Yes, but I, I did want to mention also that, um, and this, this I can also cross check with some of the reports that uh, of your, some of the eyewitnesses that, um, have been on your show. One guy, what he said, he was like, he must've been like two years old and he saw this little, um, red dragon reptilian thing, um, holding his arms down while he was in his crib slash bed or whatever it is. Um, and then you hear a loud roar, it would roar at him and disappear. And that happened for two or three nights before it stopped. And, um, something similar happened to my brother, roughly the same age. And I know people are, I think inclined to, um, discount the testimony of a, a two year old, generally speaking, or even an adult who's, who's relaying a story from what happened while he was, uh, two years old or at a younger age, you know, people tend to tend to think that that's less reliable, but um, it was corroborated by my mother later on. So he, his memory is such that kind of the same thing. He was still so young. I think he was in a crib and I don't even know if I was born yet, but um, his room was upstairs on the third level uh, of the same, uh, you know, the house I mentioned with the, 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 whatever that was walking around with cloven hooves. Um, and he, and it was about three nights in a row, as I understand that there was a purple horse or pony and a white pony. Um, and they would rub their muzzles into his kidneys. He'd be on his stomach, like trying to shield himself from them. And they'd just be grinding the, their uh, muzzles into, uh, into his back. And um, he said it like, tickle hurt and like it wasn't pleasant uh, they're obviously malevolent and and uh he got the distinct impression they were not just trying to tickle him they were trying to enter him and um so apparently on the third night this happens again this time though um there's a huge roar and uh something similar happened in an encounter that uh, brenton saw and shared about his uh, Daryl experience. Um, he was being molested in, you know, for lack of a better word, uh, by an entity. And there was a shadow figure there too. heard a loud roar. Then those things got out of there and they seemed to be afraid of the roar. Well, uh, these, uh, ponies or horses or whatever they were, were apparently afraid as well, because once that roar happened, they disappeared. And, uh, you know, my brother was as afraid of the roar as with anything else. Um, if anything, you may be even more afraid, like, great, what now? Um, but at that point, there was a glow coming from outside of, of his room and it got closer and, um, and in walks this lamb with like glowing fiery eyes. And I don't think he remembers. Um, so I don't, I don't know how, or at what point, the transition occurred, but, um, at some point the lamb turned into a, a human figure and, uh, and walked with him and walked with him downstairs, talked with him. He doesn't remember what was said except for when they finally went back upstairs. Uh, my brother didn't want to leave and asked him, you know, when are you going to be back? And he said soon. And then he was gone. And so, the next day, apparently, as my mother tells it, 
my brother's sharing this with him and he's saying, mommy, this, this, uh, so this happened. And then I saw a lamb come in and I saw this guy all in white, white hair and like red, I don't know if he said red eyes or fiery eyes. And he had always here and, and he pointed to his hands and here, and he pointed to his feet. And at that point, my mom was going to church and, um, and she's familiar with the um, description of Christ in the book of Revelation. And that's the description. He doesn't look, at least in, in the Revelation description, like a Jewish carpenter. He's got white hair like wool, and, um, and he's got eyes of flame and, um, you know, bright, just a, a bright figure. So, and obviously the, the, um, holes in his hands and feet where, where he had been pierced. And of course, as a, whatever, a two, three-year-old, however young he was, you know, my brother's not going to know that at that. He, he doesn't, though my mom, uh, I think my dad too, they probably both went to church. You know, he's nursery age. He doesn't know anything about the, the descriptions of, of Jesus, um, from the book of revelation. So, Again, not not really likely that he's fabricating that. So um, that to me is the interesting thing, and that's that's what I think is is important to convey um, is that the the church really is paranormally rich. Some somehow along the way it kind of dried up, but um, you get in the right circles, and there's some very interesting things that happen. Um, and I could go on about uh, prophetic things, and uh, you know things that have happened in, in my life in that regard. But, um, that's what I, that's what I consider. Um, I think at the email heading was a rare encounter and I call it rare because I don't, I don't hear much about that, that I haven't heard. Um, and, and it impacted me and probably uh, had something to do with my interest in the paranormal because I never doubted that. I never doubted that my, you know, my brother is not given to, fantasy and he doesn't like talking about it. Um, otherwise he'd be on the show, but I think it's, I think it's, uh, just mind blowing to, because to me, I, I, I see no, like how else to, to look at it other than, you know, the God of the universe, you know, the beginning and the end himself was in my house, saved my brother from, uh, tormenting demons and walked with him and, and comforted him and then left. Yeah, you know, and you said it just a few seconds ago. I, I, you heard me say it on the show. I mean, we lost our way when it comes to you know understanding the supernatural aspect of our belief system. Uh, It's far more paranormal, supernatural, however you want to describe it, than most want to give it credit for. And um, you know. I have similar stories from family members telling me stuff. I've said it before on the show where my grandfather uh, sharing his experiences that were very supernatural with me um, really helped build my faith and believe it, belief in this stuff. Um, but, uh, you know, everybody has their own life path and, uh, you know, figure things out the way you want to figure it out and stuff. But, uh, I do agree with you. And I just did do an interview not too long ago. Uh, it hasn't been released yet, but, uh, maybe it has been once this interview airs. I don't know, but, <laughs> um, 
they, it was a couple that was on with me and they, um, he had died. He had gotten sick from something he ate and he literally died. Excuse me. He literally died in the car on the way to the hospital. He was dead for 33 minutes and, uh, declared legally dead, but he came back to life and what he saw on the other side, he shares with us on the show. And, um, most modern Western church Christians will not believe what he says because they don't believe in the supernatural anymore. And so, mm-hmm. um, anyways, I could go on and on and on, but will, I do appreciate you being on the show, sharing your experiences from where you work to, uh, the more personal ones to even about your book and stuff. Uh, before we get out of here though, could you let people know one more time, the name of your book and where they can get it in a brief synopsis of, I think I said that word, right? Synopsis of what it is about. Yeah, it's called Deconstructing a Paradigm, a treatise for the unbelievable. It's uh, available for eight ninety nine on Amazon. Um, Self published books, you have to charge something for them. Uh, I, you know, I wanted to make it available. Um, I've got, I've got a number of things in there that just struck me as, you know, these are these are things that have a lot of merit. You know, when you hear things like the experience of Travis Walton. Um, you, you really can't dismiss that. There's too much evidence. Um, the giants, the, the numerous, um, documented newspaper articles amongst, uh, historical data that confirm the existence of giants. Um, the, the, uh, what I would call evil influence in, uh, in Washington, DC, um, and how that relates to the Bohemian Grove and Pizzagate and all this pedophilia stuff we're seeing in the news now come to light. Um, uh, I, it's just an amalgamation of these things that that people tend not to believe. That I I believe there is a is a good um, solid foundation of evidence for them. And so I wanted to present a lot of the evidence for that and why really what it is, is it's an apologetic for the, the paranormal um, and, and that there's another realm um, that that is truly in existence. And it's threatened by the idea, a, a very reductionist, materialist idea that is being put forth that, uh, you know, nothing exists nothing exists apart from what we can see. And I, I think that's a dangerous belief system and I think it should be done away with. And so this is my effort to kind of chip away at that and say, well, you know what, here are some things that um, the mainstream is not going to acknowledge exists, but here's the data that says it does. So that's kind of what I was getting, um, getting at with that. And so it, uh, it motivated me to write it. Um, Deconstructing Paradigm is on Amazon. Um, I'm kind of working on some more stuff now, but uh, slowly since uh, I'm, I'm a little busy these days. But yeah, that's kind of it in a nutshell. All right. Well, Destructing a Paradigm, or Deconstructing, I should say. Deconstructing a Paradigm. Will, thanks for being here, man. I appreciate talking to me. Yeah, thank you. Well, that's the show, everybody. I really hope you enjoyed it. And if you did enjoy it, please share the show with your friends. I don't care where you share the show, how you share the show. Just share the show if you enjoyed it, because that's the best thing you can do to help this show grow. 
share the show. And just to let you know before we get out of here this week, I am officially deactivated on Facebook. I did it myself. I had enough of it. There are some things that happened this past week that made me throw my hands in the air and say, you know what? I'm not letting this negativity rent any more headspace up top than it already has. I'm done. I'm out on Facebook. And my wife is still going to be running into the social media. So don't worry about it. Nothing's going to change on your end. We still have the fan page. We still have the groups for the show. You can even go ahead and like the Tony Merkel fan page. But on a personal level, you can't go and friend request me on Facebook because I'm no longer there. And I'm feeling great about that decision. If you want to know why I got off Facebook, go to my personal Instagram page. I made a post about it. Just go ahead and check out at Merkification or just look me up Tony Merkel. I think on the bio for the show page on Instagram, it links to my personal page. But go ahead and check that out if you're interested in seeing why. I don't want to get into it on the show, but there is a reason why, and it pissed me off. So I'm out. All right, guys. Until next week, stay safe, take care, and remember, the truth will set you free, but first it'll piss you off. Bye. I'm a dope, 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 dope. 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 I'm a